Hello and welcome to the Exorcism Podcast. If you are looking to get really good at programming, then this is just the podcast for you. Being a phenomenal programmer is about so much more than just knowing a coding language. It's about being able to solve problems, understand the best tools to solve the problems with, and think things through with clarity. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Exorcism Podcast. I'm privileged to be joined by Brian Underwood. Uh, Brian, where are you living at this point in time? And uh, tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, uh, for sure. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm uh, in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, uh, But originally, I'm uh, I'm from the the U.S., um, like born in in Ohio. Um, So a bit of a a journey from there. Um, yeah. And, uh, the, I guess my, you want to know like where I, where I am from, like my sort of my journey in between, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. How did you end up going from middle of the U S to, uh, Sweden, Scandinavia, you know, that's quite a, quite a leap. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course it's, uh, it's the middle of the U.S. I, I, don't, I don't blame you for for covering. Like nobody really knows where Ohio is, so um, that's that's totally fine. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, you know, I went to Ohio State um, for college, and that was like computer science um, education, um, and uh, and that was fun. I, I enjoyed that, um, and I was sort of doing tech support at. Uh, at in the college of humanities, uh, the, the whole time that I was there, I, I got, was fortunate enough to get a job there when I started. And, um, and I, I kind of continued on for a couple of years after I graduated. Um, but then I sort of, uh, I think I, I got a little bored of just where I was at and, uh, what I was doing. And also my girlfriend broke up with me. So, um, uh, let's not, let's not, <laughs> not happy memories uh, <laughs> fully you could say yeah i mean it was it was it was uh, all, all fine in, in uh, retrospect but um yeah but it's sort of like okay i've, I've had an opportunity here i think and so i decided to uh to take a few weeks traveling europe um, which is the first time i'd ever sort of really gone out of the the u.s for for any, any extended period of time and um and that was fun traveled through europe and then um i decided i would before before I did that, I decided I was going to move and I, I had sort of settled on Boston as a place that I was going to move. Okay. Um, and so I got, uh, I guess, I don't know if I got lucky in a way, but, um, I had, a, a couple of opportunities where like, you know, I'd always done like Mac support was like a, a big thing that I'd done. So that was like one job that I had sort of had the opportunity to, to take was like a tech support Mac job in, in Boston. And another one was this, uh, salt, small startup, that did uh, software for like um, cell phone companies and, and like uh, how they like lay out their merchandising in their stores. Um, and the, uh, you know, I, I, I think I really wanted to transition to being a programmer, but this other job was like, Oh, that's the thing I'd done for a long time. But I think I was, I was leading on the side of like, okay, I'm going to like take on this new life, this, this, this career that I want. Um, so but I think I was also a little bit lucky in getting the job because I think they really needed someone. <laughs> and, um, and so they just kind of took me on and, um, 
and that turned out to be a, a sort of a big job that I had for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then that was, that was sort of like the, the beginnings. Um, I, I, in short, sort of from there, I, um, met my now wife, um, and we, we moved down to Providence. We got married there. Um, then we moved to California. Um, I think my wife got a job in San Francisco and I was like, yep, I can, I'm a software developer. I can, I can do that. I can find a job in, in San Francisco. No, you know, no worries. Um, so that was great. We, it was, we, we lived in Oakland and, and, uh, worked in San Francisco for, for a couple of years. Um, but then we decided we wanted to travel around for a couple of years. Um, and so we ended up with traveling, uh, around the world for, for two years with our, at the time we, uh, by that time we had a two and a half year old, um, son. And so we traveled with him for a couple of years. Uh, and, and then, yeah, came back to the States a couple, a couple of years and, um, and then we sort of decided like, Oh, you know, we, we passed through Stockholm in our travels and we were like, we, we really like Stockholm. So we were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to come back. And, and that's what, that's where we've been for the last four years or so. Is, is your wife, um, Swedish or is it just that you like Stockholm or, or like how did, yeah, what's the story there? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. It's, it's, it's the question a lot of people ask. Um, but no, we're, we're both, uh, American, um, all three of us are American, my, my son included. Um, although he speaks way better Swedish than, than either of us, um, we're working on it, but, um, but yeah, no, we, we just, we just really liked it. Um, I think there were a few places that we, we had traveled to that we were like, Oh, maybe we, maybe we might live here if we, if we wanted to move somewhere. I think one of them was, uh, was, uh, Auckland was a place that we traveled through and we really liked that. In New Zealand, um, Auckland, New Zealand, you mean? New Zealand. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Um, but that was a bit far. That would have been like, if we wanted to travel back to Ohio to visit family, that would have been a, a trek. Mm. Um, it's still a bit of a trek from Sweden, <laughs> obviously, but, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, so now you, you mentioned like you, you, you made a, a comment about, um, computer programming versus, uh, or computer sciences, excuse me, and and programming like what what was the difference because in my mind computer science is, is kind of programming but um clearly not um or maybe yes i don't know so what 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 did you mean by that specifically yeah you know i don't know if i know like the difference i mean i got a computer science degree um and i think it was it was programming but it wasn't like you know maybe maybe you've heard or other people have heard like, uh, that, you know, you don't always learn in like a, with a university degree, um, what the, the sort of real life things that you might learn and do in a, in a job. Um, and probably that's changed some since I, uh, went to college. I think that there's, there's probably been a move towards more practical education, but like, I remember, um, you know, we would learn, uh, I think like C and Java, uh, were the two, some of the two main languages that we learned at the time. And in particular, I remember, uh, that we were learning this thing in Java in this one class where they were very, it was this, I think it was a teaching method or some sort of way of approaching things where you would very thoroughly comment each of your functions to say, it was like, a, it's called design by contract mm-hmm. where you'd say like, what is it that, you know, in a, in a legal contract, you know, sort of say like, okay, what are, what are your responsibilities? What are my responsibilities? Mm-hmm. And so designing a function by contract means, you know, okay, if you provide me these values in the variables 
And, you know, you never provide me a, ne- a negative number for this one. And mm-hmm. you always make sure that this string is never empty or whatever, right? These are the things that you're responsible for. And then if you do that, I promise to, mm-hmm. uh, to do this, right. And, and make this happen. Um, and so they, there was this comment structure that I, I remember being very confused thinking that somehow the comments were executed <laughs> and, and part of the program. And it was, I would, you know, I think I spent a couple of days like, like what, what am I supposed to do here? And I, I eventually sort of caught on that it was just this sort of very formal method that, mm-hmm. um, and I, it, I think it was, it was good in a sense that like that, that thinking sometimes shapes my mind and, and think it's good to think about like, you know, not having a function be able to deal with every single thing that can possibly happen because that will just lead to madness. So, so now you, you went to university with computer science as kind of the main degree that you were looking at doing. And how did you decide to do that? Was it just that you had a natural kind of gravity towards the sort of more um, scientific subject matter at school or high school? Or was there a moment where you're like, actually, this fits me really well? What was the kind of lead up to deciding that actually computer science was a degree that you would want to do? Yeah, um, I was probably pretty lucky in in just kind of being naturally drawn to it. Um, I think I... uh, I don't know. Like I, I remember, um, uh, having sort of a choice in programs, uh, at one point that where I could go into the, uh, the arts and sciences program, uh, computer science track or the engineering computer sciences track. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of them would involve like taking like language course or like Spanish was the one I was sort of on track for from high school. But um, and the other one was like, oh, you don't have to do foreign language, but you have to do more physics and math. And I was like, okay, sign me up for that. <laughs> um, so I guess that I was kind of, I think I was drawn to that. I think that it's like, although the, the one thing that I, I think about a lot is that, and maybe, maybe this is like sort of a, um, a, a scientific or mathematical interest privilege that I have, but you know, it, I feel like probably math do like doing math. A lot of people are sort of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, math, like I get nervous about math or it's stressful or whatever. And that's, I I understand that that, that, that could totally be the case. But I wonder if maybe sometimes, uh, people, some people just for whatever reason, like find the fun in the math and they're able to sort of like get excited about it. And it's like, it's the same amount of work and figuring things out, but it just doesn't feel like it. Cause when we're having fun, we don't, it doesn't feel like as much work. Yeah. Um, it's probably not exactly that. that. That's just like a pet theory that I have. That's probably only half. But it right. was funny because just, um, so I remember, um, doing chemistry for three years at GCSE in, in the UK and, and for two years, so you have your, you have three years of, of learning up until your GCSE exams. And then you have these big exams at 16 and, and and you do a whole range of topics, so you kind of do ten different subjects, and that's like quite a lot. And uh, then you decide, okay, I'm going to do A levels. I'm going to either do more maths or science or whatever, or, or English or drama or whatever. But I remember um, chemistry for me not clicking for about two years, and then in the mm-hmm. in like the week before the exam, it it all like made sense. So the periodic table and how all of that kind of worked, and oh, I could get all the answers from the periodic table. I just have to like. It's like a crossword or whatever. And um, it was 
the light bulb going on. And I remember from that point being like, oh, this is the easiest subject ever. <laughs> but it was two years of kind of struggle um, to get to that yeah. point. Um, and it's just interesting because I feel like for me, coding is, is similar, which is it's like immerse yourself in it for a long time and then the penny will drop. And I'm excited for when that – and it feels like it's moving in that direction. But um, I think what you're describing there, you know, I saw friends who they just – understood very very quickly off the bat and kind of enjoyed it and the problem solving aspect was was it was a main feature of um learning um which is which is very interesting i I find so it's cool that you 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 experienced that as well um for yourself i guess um i know that there's there's this app actually that um my son has, has played on his ipad um there's a there's a company or a series of apps called Dragon Box. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they make some really nice educational apps. Like normally I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of like most educational apps. Um, but they do a number of really good ones. And one of them is about geometry. Um, and I find, I, I, I think about this as a metaphor a lot that like it, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't a geometry. I was algebra. Uh, there's a geometry one as well. But with the algebra one, it doesn't actually teach you the concepts of algebra, it teaches you the mechanics of algebra and it does it in a way where you have, you know, you have two different sides with these two different boxes and you have to make things sort of just balance on the two sides, right? You move the monster from one side to the other, or you have to transform them in from a certain kind of monster. another. It's been a little while since I've seen it, but what I remember so, so clearly is that he was learning the mechanics of algebra even though he didn't understand what it was, what he was like working towards and why he was doing this, but it was fun to do it. And they did it in this way that like made it really engaging. And the thing I, I think is, is so great about that. And I wanted to like go through the app again, because like when he, when he starts to do algebra, because I feel like if you have the mechanics down, like then you don't have to worry about those so much. And you can sort of think more about the high level without having to, you know, get stressed about the mechanics stuff. And I think maybe that's the thing that you were saying with, with chemistry. I don't, I don't know if this is how it was for you, but like, maybe it's like, why should I care about all this mechanic stuff and these rules and these things? Um, but it's like, once you get to a certain point, it's like, okay, I've, I've kind of struggled through that. Now I can maybe care about the, like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a really interesting experience because it, it was the first time that I'd kind of gone through that process of understanding something and then and then you you kind of go through this period of losing a lot of confidence in those subject matters because you think oh my brain isn't particularly wired towards that kind of thought process but actually then if you look at english literature for example which was what i did is you actually go very systematically through looking at language and how things are structured and, and understanding sort of but there's there's a nuance there's an artistic nature to that whole thing as well which i mean you could say there's also that artistic element in, in development and, and coding stuff um each person has their own little flavor and i think that's what i'm realizing more and more is there's no hard hard or fast rule to to anything it's just it's all trade-offs um so uh no it's been it's been fascinating so now you've you did you helped us on on the cohorts um which if anyone listening um that we ran like learning experiences in Elixir and Golang and Brian, you kind of helped out a, a little bit with the, with the, uh, the Elixir cohort. And, and so how did you get into Elixir as, as a language itself? Like what was the, what was the kind of background, um, in getting into that? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause someone was just asking me that exact question today. Um, 
because it's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a niche language in a, in a way. Um, but, uh, I, I'd been in the Ruby, uh, I'd been a Ruby developer for, for a long time. Um, and I really loved Ruby because it's, you know, I'm, I'm the sort of programmer who like, I want to, I want to get things done. I want to think about, I want to get hard problems done. And it's hard to get hard problems done when you're thinking about like the small details of things and having to deal with pointers or whatever. Right. Um, so, so Ruby was great for that. Um, and then of course, Jose Valim, the creator of Elixir, you know, came out of the Ruby world. He was prolific already in the Ruby world, um, and decided that he needed, he not needed, I mean, he's, he's amazing. Um, he, you know, was going to be, you know, create his, create his own language and be prolific in that, um, and, and did an amazing job with that. Um, so I kind of, in a way, you know, I just, I was kind of hooked into that world where, you know, I would listen to some podcasts about where they would sometimes talk about Ruby, but then there was like, Oh, this is new thing, Elixir. And, um, and then I think of maybe a bit of a shift, a bit of a fundamental thing was I was living in, uh, I just actually moved back to Columbus uh, for a while, uh, Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, Joseph Alim came to the Ruby group in Columbus, the Columbus Ruby brigade. Um, and they were like, you know, Joseph Alim is so great to just come and speak on whatever you want to speak, speak about. Um, and of course he was like, yes, I will speak about Elixir because, uh, I've <laughs> created this I've language and I'm really excited I about will. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember this, uh, it's, it's so funny. Just like uh, a year ago, I found a recording of that presentation. Um, and it's a bit grainy, um, but you can still watch it. And I still, I can, uh, find the place where I ask a question of Joseph, uh, and, uh, just like, I, I remember having this, uh, this confusion about how exactly the, these concepts of like, uh, you create these processes and they can recover from failure if you have supervisors and whatever. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I was sort of like, how does that work? And like, like, okay, you recover from errors, but do you like, do you still learn about those errors or like what happens? And I, it's, it's just been this whole process to like learn what that means. Um, and I think it's a really interesting process. I think at the time, there were a lot of the, the Elixir community was struggling with like how to describe these concepts. And I think there's more blog posts out there, more, more things for people to absorb and come on more quickly. Um, so, but anyway, that's, that's the sort of place that I came into. I think that was one of the big places is it's just like, Oh, this sounds interesting. And if Jose says that it's, it's cool, then I should check it out. So did it, was it almost like the, the timing was right for you to kind of, move into it was just like a lot of different things um lined up and and made sense for you um had you been exploring other languages like i mean you you mentioned about pointers and is that a reference to to go specifically or was it kind of you were just on the hunt Mm. for some language that suited you you could say i think i i yeah i mean I, i i i'm like uh super into the idea that different things are good for different purposes. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm huge into Elixir now. I feel like probably I'm, I'm probably a bit biased to that. Like, yeah, Elixir can be used for just about anything. Um, that's probably not entirely true, but, um, I think the pointers thing I think was, I was, I had C in mind, I think, you know, it mm-hmm. done some C and C plus plus in college, but, um, but I think, uh, you know, yeah. So like I, um, 
for a number of years, I was working with Neo4j, the graph database. Um, okay. And that was something I was super into. And I was um, one of the maintainers for the, the Neo4j gems for Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was this, we don't have to get too much into it, but like graph databases can let you do certain things uh, faster or just sort of in some ways more easily. It was kind of, to me, it was this, it was a, it's, it's not a lot of people use Neo4j for this, but I feel like it was kind of like Ruby and that it helps you think about things at a higher level. Um, and so would, would let you do things more more nicely. Um, but I'm, I'm just into that idea of like, okay, graph databases could be good for this purpose. And then a relational database for this and a document database for this. And okay, well, if I need to make a little service that can needs to operate super fast, maybe I make it in rust or go or whatever. And so I should know about those languages and, you know, if I, you know, higher level things, you know, there's Ruby and Python, but now there's Elixir and Elixir's, it has actually a lot of great advantages. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's also a super, I like, it's a super hard thing to figure out what's good for what, for, for different things, because for, for like, mm. because there's so much involved in like a language, for example, that like, okay, figuring out whether it's good for something quote unquote good is hard. Yeah. And also people, myself included, I think get emotionally invested in some of the languages that they like for one reason or another. And so it's like, well, yeah. it's hard. Mm-hmm. And do you, and, and Brian, do you, do you use Elixir on a daily basis with work and, and what is, what is work for you at the moment? Like, what do you, what's day to day look like um, at this point? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, consultant, uh, with Erlang solutions. And, um, so I'm, and I'm working with, um, a client of Erlang solutions, uh, which is a company called Vic AI. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, Lars, Lars Vilken, um, uh, I think has helped them some and, uh, and has written about them, uh, a little bit on his blog. Uh, he's a, a kind of semi-famous person in the Elixir world. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, so, so they're a, a company that, uh, helps other companies. They have, they make an application that helps companies process invoices mm-hmm. se- um, semi or fully automatically using artificial okay. intelligence. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, that's, and so they have, you know, of course, machine learning models, but then they have an Elixir API that, that, uh, lets them sort of coordinate a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so are you, uh, so do you deal with a lot of different clients, um, in the day or is it kind of, you work with a, a specialized group that you sort of walk through and partner with, um, like how does that all work? Yeah, we, uh, so I'm, I'm usually on a sort of a feature team with a product manager and, uh, we've got a web developer and mobile developer and, um, sometimes the backend developer, the, the machine learning team. Um, and, but then it's nice to sometimes we'll have like a product or a QA person who mm-hmm. will interface with our clients, um, to help sort of try to get us the, the most relevant, most, uh, most needed sort of, um, you know, what is it that the users and the, the clients actually need? Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit of like layers. Like we, you know, depending on what it is, like we have, we have one big direct client and then we have some like, 
accounting systems that we ERPs that we work with, that they have people that, you know, are sort of their clients. I honestly don't actually work with a lot of it, like with the customer side as much, but it's just, I think we have a lot of different ways that we interface with, with clients and we kind of have to, to do a lot of different dances to integrate, which is, which is kind of an interesting problem in itself. So is that, is, is the week quite varied and you sort of do, are you doing a lot of different things during the week? Um, or is it sort of fairly predictable? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that I, uh, I usually, I mean, there's, there's a, usually one project that I'm working on. Um, but, uh, like for example, something I I think I can say on recently is I was just working on helping make sure that our VAT calculations were, were correct in, in how we process invoices. Um, cause that could be a tricky thing just dealing with, with VAT. Um, uh, especially when you just have invoices coming in from a whole bunch of different in, uh, vendors that they can be, you know, they can do things differently from each other. And so, um, but I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that they, um, uh, they would like to make sure that we're kind of on top of our, um, uh, code quality and, and in general, just on top of things. And so we, we try to spend a decent amount of time, um, doing, uh, doing things to make things better, uh, make our code better or, or um, improve things. Um, and so, you know, I, I that, that's also kind of just how I am. It's like, I kind of I usually just try to grab at least some of my time for like, you know, we, I, I do a lot of like integration with Datadog uh, for our application to make sure that we can have tracing for our requests and our background jobs and all those sorts of things. And that's, thing, that's something that really tickles me to be able to like, once I've done that to like, okay, and now I, I have the tools that I need to, to do my right. job. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, like also, I think just recently, um, there's something that, uh, that I got interested in, like a, a sort of a way of, um, organizing code and referencing other mm-hmm. modules. And, uh, there's a tool in the Elixir world called Credo that lets you sort of enforce different rules in your code style. Um, and so I, I created a new Credo rule to potentially enforce that rule. And, and so I'm kind of curious to see how it goes. Okay, cool. Well, it sounds, that sounds, uh, to be honest, uh, straight over my head a little bit, but, uh, somewhat, somewhat, <laughs> I'm sure someone out there will know what's going on. But, um, you mentioned earlier about, um, you kind of worked a little bit for a startup. I think you're right. In, I'm right in saying, so you had this sort of tech support side of things. And also there was a bit of a startup story going on. Is that something that you would be interested in, in the future or is something that's always in the back of your mind? Like what's the kind of trajectory for you you think in the next sort of five ten years in terms of programming i mean you you may not know but i just thought it's a, it's, it's quite an interesting one just to ask people you know where do you see yourself in in five years five ten years yeah uh, that's a good question i mean i've kind of uh, as far as like startups you know i've always i've always kind of gone between small to medium-sized companies mm-hmm. um you know i'm not usually as happy in, in very large companies. Um, and, uh, you know, I never really saw myself as a consultant until recently where I was sort of like, okay, this is kind of like interesting to be able to, to like, uh, go to different companies and, you know, maybe try to help them solve their problems, but then maybe move on to another company. I mean, I'm, if anybody from Picky is listening, I'm, I'm not unhappy. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, this like, is sort of when I originally think to ask someone on a podcast, but, uh, with, yeah, just obviously, uh, assuming everything's going great. Sorry, my cat's just clawing at the door here. 
Oh one. yeah, yeah. I just had a. Yeah, <laughs> so we just we just got a puppy about a month ago, and so I'm I'm constantly like having to like she's barking or she's you know maybe once or twice like peeing on the bed, and it's like ah I gotta deal with this. <laughs> no, it's it's mad. Five a.m. every morning to five four thirty in the morning, she sort of jumps on the bed and starts like pouring your face it's, it's it's cute and adorable oh my gosh. but um yeah after a while it's like come on <laughs> Can't leave me alone. Yeah. but um but yeah just yeah. Uh, back to the whole like uh, um, yeah, next couple of years what, what would you love to be able to to do or realize yeah that's a that's a good question i think i'm i'm into the idea of like figuring out um, I think one of the things that appeals to me maybe about Elixir is that it's still a bit fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I like, like, uh, you, you know, what are some ways to sort of pave the new paths and, and find mm-hmm. the new patterns and, um, especially in like, you know, it's not just like, you know, I was in, I was in the Ruby world for, for a while. And so like coming into Elixir, sometimes there's things that's like, Oh, I, I missed this from Ruby. So it'd be great to like build this or, mm-hmm. or do this. Um, but then there's also just things that are like, you know, oh, this is something that I couldn't do in Ruby very well, but if I just do this, then, you know, we could, it could be even more awesome, um, by taking advantage of the, the strengths of Elixir. So, um, I think that's the sort of stuff that I'm, I'm interested in, in like finding, finding the, the, the neat use cases and, um, talking about them, sharing them. Cause I, I, that's also some, that's always something that inspires me. It's like when I read, especially when I like read about something like a real use case, um, and see the details of it, not just like, yeah, we did this thing and we kind of, this is, this is how we went about it. And it's like, but where can I see some code or like what some details of, yeah. It, it sounds like you, you enjoy like the optimizing side of things, kind of taking something and pioneering a new, a new way to make something better and, and more, more efficient. Um, that's what I'm hearing uh, at least. <clears throat> is that, is that fair? Do you think? Yeah, I think, and, and I think efficient is good, but I think maybe I would say even more, uh, finding ways to make things enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super into the idea of how can we solve problems so that we don't have to deal with them anymore. <laughs> uh, like make, make <laughs> libraries so that out. we can be like, okay, now yeah. that problem, yeah, that problem's solved now. Let's move on to something that, you know, is it's better use of our time, right? Mhm. Mhm. No, sure. That that that's that makes sense. So so one of the things that um I've enjoyed asking people uh especially in in the whole because I'm fairly I would say I'm fairly new to to tech as an industry as a whole. Um and don't come from like a particularly uh experienced background in terms of developing from a young age, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that <clears throat> has often stood out to me is um and and you hear this with with friends who are in tech a lot is um there's quite a lot of opinions flying around um which i th- it seems fairly fairly true um but we have this uh, question that we like to ask sort of people who come on on our podcast which is what is the hill that you would die on in in tech and obviously framing it in a kind of uh, slightly tongue in cheek way but um is there is there a particular uh, mindset or opinion that that you have which um, you're like, this is the hill that I would <laughs> defend. Um, 
and it can be anything. So a good, a good example would be like DJ, who's one of our maintainers. You, you might know uh, his hill was, was the role of really key conversation, like having well meaning and good, well-structured conversation in the tech space. Um, so having that robust, you know, challenging, um, interrogation, which is kind of, um, built on, on the right foundations, you could say. Um, I'm trying to think of who someone else, someone else said, uh, Rebecca at Unison was like, um, she would rather have 50 people on a team who were hardworking, conscientious, and maybe less talented than one genius who's a nightmare <laughs> to, to engage with. So, so hopefully those are kind of good examples. And I, I did throw you a little bit under the bus there with that question out of the blue, because there's probably quite a few, um, perspectives that you might have but is there one that you would be like no this is this is what i'm willing to 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 hold firm with mm, yeah yeah because my first thought was sort of like oh like camel case versus snake case well i don't know if i die on that <laughs> hill or not um <laughs> and i think be. a lot of those things like <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but a lot of those things i think i maybe become less opinionated about uh, over time. But yeah, no, I, I like these higher level things that you're, you're sort of talking about. Um, uh, I feel like I could, I like, there's a, um, let me see if I can bring this up. Uh, unfortunately you're editing this. So my pauses are just going to go away. Right. <laughs> that's the plan at least yeah uh so there's a there's a tool called remote retro which i have used a number of times and, and really highly recommend um and it, i learned about it because it's written in elixir um and but aside from that i think it's just well designed um and over time it's it's grown to be a better and better tool um but it always starts off with a prime directive, which I think was, I, I'm, as I'm looking at it now, I'm seeing it was taken from Norm Keith. Um, actually, there's a wiki page here, so, so you can look this up. You can go remoteretro.org um, if you want to check this out. Um, but uh, the... Yeah, here's the prime directive, uh, which I think is just, I, it's sort of the thing that, that you read at the beginning of a retrospective to put okay. people in the right mindset, um, that it says, uh, regardless of what we discover, we understand and truly believe that everyone did the best job they could, given what they knew at the time, their skills and abilities, the resources available, and the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's good. I think it's similar that, like, you need to make sure that you're always like, and actually I'll, I'll even say one more thing. There was an interview and I can, I can share this uh, if you want to like put the link in the, yeah, the show description or whatever later. Refer to it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I always, I always recommend this article, uh, even though it's always super hard to find and I don't, it's, it's probably passed a bit into obscurity now, but there was this, um, uh, this man who was a administrator of the, the veteran association, the veterans association in the U S the, the government department. Um, and specifically, I think he dealt with their healthcare system. Um, and he, he had this interview where he, he came from the, but he came from the aerospace world. 
Um, okay. And a lot of what he talked about was how in aerospace, in a lot of, probably it's not perfect everywhere, but in a lot of what he experienced, um, you would blame the process. You don't blame the people. Um, and if something goes wrong, you say, you know, okay, you know, it's not a, you know, like I've, I've deleted a table in production. Um, but fortunately nobody blamed me for that. They were like, okay, what do we do now? Well, we, we make it so that when you go into production on the console, it, it comes up, the prompt is red. And so it's clear that you're in production. Right. Um, because I, I made that mistake cause I thought it was development when I was, yeah. Right. So, so that I was fortunate to have a, an office in which, um, we blamed the process and not, not the person. Um, and so that was really great. And so he talked about that in the context of like medicine that was like, okay, we sometimes maybe a nurse might give the wrong medication to a patient. It's like, well, sometimes the labels are confusing and, or there's this thing that's like, it's, it's hard or it's just whatever. It's not ideal. It's like, okay, let's, let's fix that. Let's, let's do it. So if we want to, if we really do care about the patient, let's, let's make it a process that, that is harder to go wrong. Um, so that's, that's something that I think is, is a, a big deal for me. That's that's really cool. I, I'm going to definitely uh, put these show notes. Is that is that out of the sort of agile? Um, is it a kind of uh, built upon agile um, methodology? You could say, or is it? I mean, where is it? Or is it sort of a, a little bit of a something else? What would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I got the impression that it was part of a. a reasonably long tradition in some aerospace engineering circles. I mean, aerospace, I, I think it maybe it just has to do with the fact that like, if you have, if you're making airplanes or if you're making rockets, um, you know, you're in the, you're in the job of like, this needs to work, you know? And <laughs> when we put, if, if we put a human on there, whether it's an astronaut or a, a passenger, right. Um, yeah. We need to give it the best chance of working and by the best way to do that is to put our egos aside and say, you know, what, what is going to make this work as much as possible mm-hmm. every time, um, if we just follow the process. Um, so I think that yeah. that's, I think that's part of it. Yeah. It just, uh, cause when I was looking up remote retro, it looked a lot of like, um, sort of agile term, like terminology. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it was maybe kind of sure. from, from there somewhere, but, um, no, that's really cool. Uh, I, I've, I've not heard that before. The one I have heard is about checklists, um, especially in medical and aerospace. So it's, you know, like a pilot will go through a checklist. That's like, he doesn't deviate from his checklist and a doctor will do the same. Um, no, but that's, that's really cool. So Brian, we'll, we'll, we'll start coming into land. I have one more question really for you, uh, this evening. Um, and it's really, what, what is your recommendation for the exorcism community, uh, in the next week? If you could give, one one piece of advice or and it could be on anything it could be like go drink kombucha from i don't know your local deli or you know go for a run and swim in the the arctic ocean or whatever it is um if there was one thing you would recommend to the exorcism community to go and give it a whirl what would it what would it be this week hmm Uh, I would say that, um, I mean, within, within your, 
uh, abilities because maybe this is, you know, not, a, it's always hard to give advice to everyone. But, um, I think one thing that has been a big thing for me is I think one time I, I um, went into the ER because I was having a, a sudden headache. Um, and there was maybe a concern that I, it was the, like a flash headache, which can be a sort of serious thing. So, so I went in and had the doctor look at me and everything was fine there. But, um, you know, the doctor was just sort of asking general questions and sort of saying like, okay, how much exercise do you get? And, you know, what's your activity and whatever. And, and I was like, you know, being an American, I was sort of like, well, I, I, you know, I walk a good bit. I, I get like maybe 8,000 steps a week, uh, a month or on average a day. Um, yeah. and he's like, you know, you should, you should be getting out uh, three times a week for 45 minutes, um, like for really getting sweaty. And, yeah. wow. um, you know, I didn't do it right away, but you know, I, I was after, um, maybe five or six months, I did get into a pattern, a, a habit of, of running usually okay. three times a week, sometimes maybe two times a week, but you know, and I think that that, that's been something that's been sort of a big change in my life. I've, I've, I think it's helped me a lot. So I think, um, I, I know that that's, it's, it's a super hard thing to do and it's super hard for me to get into. And, and I think the part of the way I did it is like, I was like, okay, I'm going to go out. And if I end up walking for 75% of the time, then, okay, that's just how it's going to be. I'm just going to build it up. But, um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I so think that like, was get, interesting get that you mentioned and, that because we, yeah. uh, one of the, no, that's really cool because one of the things that we tried to think through with the, the cohorts was what's going to facilitate people growing and learning and, and kind of moving and gain, gaining momentum, I guess, in, in their coding jog, you could say. And um, one of them was just getting out, even if it was for 10 minutes a day, just to kind of just put yourself in the place of trying it out. And um, even if you don't really get anywhere, even if you just read the instructions and then that's it for the day, as long as you turn up, uh, in some shape or form, it, it, it kind of makes a big difference. But I think that whole, um, that's a great recommendation. Definitely a reminder for me to go and get my, get my sport going a little bit just because it's so sedentary sometimes sitting in indoors. Um, so if anyone listening is out there, um, take up Brian's, um, piece of advice and, uh, head out for a run. And, uh, but I mean, it's going to start getting a little bit chillier in, uh, Stockholm in the next couple of weeks. So do you, do you still run in the, in the, yeah. in the middle of the winter or is it kind of, uh, indoor running? Yeah, I do. And I mean, I would say also like, you know, the best, the best exercise you can do if you're going to get out there for 30, 40 minutes a, a day for three times a week or something is like, whatever, whatever is the thing that you enjoy the most, uh, you know, cause if you don't enjoy running, then that's, you're probably not gonna be able to keep that up. So, you know, I'll say that first, but, um, but yeah, in the winter, um, you know, I have, uh, uh, a hat, uh, which is like, it, it gets dark in Stockholm too. So my wife got me a hat that has uh, built-in fibers that, uh, are retroreflective. Um, okay. so that's, that's nice. So they can keep me safe. Um, and then I have a, a face mask and, uh, and, uh, ear things I can put on, uh, to, yeah. And then, yeah, so I do have to bundle up, but it's, it's, it can be good too. Cause it keeps when it's cold that, you know, I can, you can my heart run rate a lot can stay lower. Um, and I can still get it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. But Brian, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for, for your time this evening. I know it's probably been a long day and kids and work and new puppy and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for, for your time and for sharing it with us. And uh, for anyone listening out there, we will put the show notes in the description below so you can check those things out. Um, if you have uh, 
any opportunity and you're listening to this, go and check out the Elixir track. Um, and I'm sure Brian, I don't know if you do any mentoring at all on, on the Elixir track, but maybe, uh, if you are in the mentoring space ever at all, uh, you might see some new people popping in and testing things out. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about Elixir. So, um, I think, uh, it's definitely one to, to watch for the future. And, um, yeah, have a wonderful evening, Brian. Uh, just hang on a little bit when I stop the recording, but, uh, yeah, great to, to, to have you on with us. And uh, thanks for sharing a little bit of insight into the life of Brian Underwood. And uh, yeah, so thanks everyone for listening and uh, have a wonderful evening. Check you soon.